Good morning. Uh, thank you, Mitch. It, like I said, it's been a wonderful blessing to um, have this opportunity to study, to uh, prepare something every week, and to bring 2% of what God taught me, because there's no way I could in, in, in this time. Um, but like I said, it's just been amazing. So. Today, we have the wonderful opportunity to continue our faith family portrait, a study in biblical relationships out of Hebrews 11. And uh, we're going to take on the next name we see in Hebrews 11.32. And that's Samson. And there's a, another wonderful art drawing that I found on Google. I love the 80s. This reminds me of the felt. Do you guys remember that? You had the felt stick-ups? Flannel glass. Yeah. When you're in Sunday school in the 80s and 90s, they had that before now. They have all the digital stuff now. Kids. I, I taught a, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I taught a vacation Bible school mm-hmm. the younger kids, and I used that board. Yeah. So the, I sure did. The one that always scared me was the one that was, like, just ahead for yeah. some reason. I don't remember, like, if it was, like, supposed to be on the charger. <laughs> But it was like just the head of somebody. It was like that's like freaky for a little bit. Like floating in the middle. Yeah. The bat- I don't know who it was or what, but it's like. And then they cut his head off and they put it on this plate or something. I don't know. It's weird. It's freaky to me. Uh, that's funny. So to back up really quick, here's a hypothesis that we are working with that ministry relies on relationships. Therefore, practical lessons are to be learned from the relationships of those in the hall of faith. Um, Hebrews 11 uh, is consistently. Uh, considered the hall of faith and Romans 14 7 says for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself we we're in this together um, and I think that's what's I've learned so much is that no matter who uh, we've been studying there's always other people there with them um, and God is consistently the one that uh, is empowering all of this and so Samson I titled this uh, Separated by Direction, Lost by Choice, Until Separated by Faith. And so that's the three sections of Samson's life that we're going to take a look at. Um, Is his beginnings, the middle choices, and then his end. And um, he was predestined to be separated for the work of God. But as happens with imperfect humans, he lost his way. This deviation cost him his sight and his freedom. He did, however, end up choosing faith and sacrificing himself for the work of the Lord. So we're going to take a look at these three parts of his life. And here's Hebrews 11.32. And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to talk of Gideon, who we've already talked to, and Barak, who we've already talked to, and Samson. And then uh, Mitch will take care of Jephthah next week. And then David. So we can look forward to that. So, number one, actually, back up, back up a little bit. We read about Samson starting in Judges chapter 13. And so, that's where we need to camp 13, 14, and 15. And if I had time, I would read every single verse and we could discuss all of his uh, exploits and, and tear apart different things that went through his life. But we don't have time for that. So, we're just going to highlight a couple of things here. And the first thing that we need to highlight is the birth of Samson. And that's starting in uh, Judges chapter 13. So make your way over there in your Bible um, or flip there in your app. And I guess you really don't flip in an app. You scroll in an app. So trying to get my lingo down. Um, I like paper Bibles. I'm old school. So, All right. So we're going to look at Judges chapter 13 uh, starting in verse 1. And it says... And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. I think we heard that last week. So um, if you don't remember what I talked about then, please feel free to listen online uh, for last week's service. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. And so this time, instead of 20 years, now they're being persecuted for 40 years. Verse 2, And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come up, come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, Samson's life hasn't even begun and when we first start chapter 13. His mom, we don't actually learn her name. Uh, we learn his father's name, and that's Manoah. Um, but Samson, from the beginning, is foretold. He's prophesied. The angel of the Lord appears before her and says, this is going to happen. And I think it's important to take a look at the three prophecies here. The first one is that you're going to have a son. So a person who can't have a child to have this, what she thought was a random stranger appear before her and say, hey, you're going to have a son. Her heart probably couldn't contain the excitement to hear that. Because it's something that she's probably wanted. It's something that Manoah wanted to have a, 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 an heir to his to his family. And then the second thing he said um, in verse four, or yeah, verse five, excuse me. He will begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So. Let's stop here for a second and, and, and just take in those words. He will begin to deliver. So no matter what Samson did, he wasn't the final deliverance. He was the beginning. And so keep that in mind as we take a look at this because it's easy sometimes to think that we're the answer, right? That we're, we're the one that's going to uh, finally fix this or finally help this person or be the the person that brings this into the past. And God might be like, you're the beginning. You know, a lot of times when we, we look at uh, missionaries like Pastor Mike out in Boston and stuff, you don't think about it, but there's a whole several generations of pastors and churches that have toiled and struggled and done the work of the Lord for many years without much fruit, but they're just getting that soil ready. And so they were the beginning. And now we start to see Pastor Mike going over there after toiling back and forth and praying and all the time that's spent to get ready. And now they're seeing fruit. And you can see and you have to pay homage to what God has been doing in Boston for the last 40 years. And say, praise God that somebody was willing to go and maybe not see the fruit now, but know that God is going to bless in the future at some point. And so he was the beginning of the deliverance. And the third one was that he was a Nazarite. He was to be a Nazarite from the womb. Now, the word Nazarite, according to the 1828 Webster's definition, is a Jew who professed extraordinary purity of life. And devotion. To become a Nazarite, you would have looked at Numbers chapter 6, and you would look at what needs to be done, and you would see that it's a choice. And if you look at this definition here, it says, a Jew who professed. So it was, hey, I believe in God so much that I am going to now become a Nazarite. And to become a Nazarite, there were several things that you couldn't do and one of them was you couldn't have wine you couldn't have strong drink you couldn't have anything from the vine you couldn't have a salad with grape leaves you couldn't have any olives you couldn't have anything that had anything to do with the vine um, because you were now devoted to God wholly so that you would get rid of those things out of your life you wouldn't cut your hair your physical appearance would change and everybody could mark you as a Nazarite, because your hair would just grow. 
You couldn't touch any dead body. Not for your mother, not for your father, not for your son, not for your daughter. You couldn't even be in the same room. Because you were so devoted to God that you would put all that aside and say, no, God is the most important thing in my life. And so you see what the angel told her, um, looking in uh, verse 4, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. So, Samson's life hadn't even begun, but he already was given a plan from God to be devoted, to be a person that could be pointed at and say, that man is devoted to God, just by his appearance. Samson did not choose to have a separated life, though. A life that is devoted to God so much that you choose to alter your physical life, the physical choices, in order to be separated out of the world from God. Samson's life was chosen to be used by God. But as we do, Samson also had a free will choice to serve God or serve himself. And so we'll see that. So continuing on being separated by the direction... Look at verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me he me his name. Told he me his name. Wow, that's hard. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Manoah wanted to do it right. Look at that. He got the message from his wife and he didn't he didn't say, I don't believe you, woman. He didn't say, You're crazy. He said, God, teach us. Teach us how we should raise this child. And look at verse 9. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. God answered Manoah's plea, and the angel of the Lord appeared again to his wife. She had to run and get Manoah. Because he was out doing whatever it was he was doing. And then the angel of the Lord answered Manoah's questions. And what did he say? He said, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. I already told you what to do. But I guess you needed to hear it from me directly. And so here you go. Do what I've already told you. Manoah didn't want him to leave. Look at verse 15. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And so Manoah wanted to offer something to this, to this being that had appeared twice now. But the angel of the Lord made sure that Manoah knew who was in charge and he said thou must offer it unto the Lord he said the Lord is the one that's bringing this message to you I'm just a vessel I'm just the words I'm just the one speaking and then Manoah verse 17 
what is thy name? That when thou sayings come to pass, we may do the honor. So Manu is still trying to push to like, you know, not, not give all the credit to the Lord, but give credit to this, to the angel that appeared. Uh, verse 18, And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is a secret? So Manoah took a kid with meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. Verse 20, For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. It clicks to Manoah what's going on. Verse 22, And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. So Manoah went right to the final recognition. Oh my goodness, we just saw God. The angel of the Lord has appeared before us we're dead. There's no way I can look upon God and not die. But then look at what his wife says in verse 23. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. We see their enlightening, or see their understanding being enlightened in verse 22. And Manoah's recognition that they probably should be dead because they were looking upon the angel of the Lord. But his wife has the faith that what the angel of the Lord said would come to pass. She said, if God was going to kill us, he wouldn't have told us all these things were going to come to pass. And so... Relationship rule number one, we need to look at all circumstances through the lens of faith. And when I say circumstances, say, Brandon, that's not really about relationships. Well, it is because look at, look at all these prayer requests. These are all circumstances in the mix of all these relationships that we're talking about. Whether it's ladies that we know at the program or staff that we know at the CLP and the family center. Or, you know, Tim's aunt, or Liza's family friend, or the, the funeral restrictions, or the wedding restrictions. These are all relationships, but we need to look at all of these through the lens of faith. And say, okay, God, what has your word said about me? Not about my circumstances. It's not going to talk about the taxes I owe. It's not going to talk about that kind of stuff. But it is going to say that God has deemed all things for good to those that believe. So even in the hard times, do we have the faith to say, God, you're using this to grow me? You're using this to give me stronger faith so that when the next harder thing comes along, it's actually going to be easier because my faith is strengthened? Or are we going to continue to kind of just survive and not thrive through the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we have this kind of faith that what God has said to us about us and for us will come to pass no matter what the circumstances are. I knew when I went to Iraq, I could have died. There were several times that I remember on a more frequent basis than I would appreciate that that could have happened. But I also knew that God had called me to do something with the life that I had. Now it's taken me more years than I want to talk about to get back around there. But God has blessed us to continue growing my family to get to a place where we can go and help a church somewhere and be able to do what it is that God has called us to do. But I knew that God wasn't going to fail me in Iraq because he had already given me the vision to be something for him other than a soldier other than a husband. There's a greater purpose for my family. And so we take a step in faith and say, okay, God, I know that we can get through this COVID times. I know we can get through this lockdown because you have a purpose for us. Whether that's discipleship, whether that's sharing the gospel to our neighbors, let's take a moment and say, hey, we have the ability to look at all these times with faith 
and take that and just run with it and say, okay, God, I'm not going to stop. Like Van said, we're not going to stop just because it's 2020. We're going to get ready for 2021 and do more. As long as you have breath, it's not too late to turn to God. That's the biggest thing that you can understand. So point number two, Samson gets lost by choice. Uh, Flip over to uh, chapter 16 of Judges. And if you want to read more about Samson, I just encourage you, read everything. There's no way that I could cover it all in the short time that we have. But we can see here in uh, verse... Or excuse me, verse chapter sixteen, starting in verse five. Um, whoops, I think that was supposed to be fifteen. Hmm. Okay. Well, as that one is escaping me, I will tell you what it says. This is always happens when you try to do this stuff. Amen. Praise God. He knows the words. Okay. Samson has the Spirit of the Lord come upon him mightily. And what happens is Samson has the strength beyond anything that human mind can comprehend. What does that mean? Well, there's there's a, a moment that's talked about in Samson's life where he walks up to the gates of the city that they locked to try to keep him there and then take him as captive. And he rips the gates off the wall with the frame and just walks away into the desert with it. I, I, I hadn't even remembered that one from, from before. And when I was reading this, I was like, wait, he just... Because if you've ever seen what some of these gates can look like, they're massive beams, they're, they've got stone around them, they're... they're Hundreds of thousands of pounds. But he just picked it up and walked away. He takes a jawbone of an animal, of a donkey, and he kills 1,000 soldiers of the Philistines with it. That's a number that we can't even comprehend. He didn't do it with a firearm. He didn't do it with a missile. He didn't do it with anything that we have today. He did it with an animal bone. And he just went and he just took the battle to the Philistines in a physical way. And God blessed him to have this strength to be able to use it to begin to deliver the people of Israel. But I want to let you know that if you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have the same spirit in you. Because it was the spirit of the Lord that came upon Samson. First Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? When we take the time to say, I can't do something. I can't get this done. I can't read the King James. I can't tell somebody about God. I can't do D1. Then I like to think 1 Corinthians 3.16. Hey Brandon, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? What is keeping you from doing that? Well, that's just you not recognizing that you have the Spirit of God, that you have this strength. I might not better rip that door off its hinges, but God can use us to be a vessel to speak, to love on people. Samson allowed his flesh to redirect him off the path that God wanted him to be on. Relationship rule number two is that we need to not compromise our walk with God for earthly treasures and pleasures. The worldly things are fleeting, but the work of God is eternal. So my question to us this morning... What does this world offer 
over what God has offered you? Nothing. What did Jesus say about the treasures of the earth? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you're looking for happiness in the world today, it is fleeting. It will rust. That new car will get salt on it. It'll get T-boned. It'll get dinged in the parking lot. The stock market will lose all of its money at some point. My retirement will be zero or negative. I'll work until I'm 72 if the Lord tarries. All of that is fleeting. But what's not going to flee or be lost? What's not going to be corrupted? Seeing somebody as you're studying the Bible with them and their eyes light up because they get it. Seeing them tearfully pray to God to change their life. And then see that new person as they've accepted Jesus. To to know somebody before, at salvation, and after. And just to see the changes that God has been able to do. That's never going to go away. That's what we need to put our time and our effort in. I love how Jesus says at the end, he said, Hey, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your time is going to be. That's where your effort is going to be. Our actions are dictated by what is in our heart. If you want a better relationship with God, then we will put the time in here. Because this is what's going to teach us what his heart is. This is what we're going to hear from him. His mind, Jesus' mind is in here. So Samson would go on through the stories here to kill over a thousand Philistines and even to continue to harass them he got 300 foxes lit their tails on fire and let them run through the fields just to burn all the crops down he was a maniac he was crazy then he climbed the top of a mountain and just waited for them to come for him but Samson gets confused He has a fight with a lion and he kills the lion with his bare hands. But then as he's going back through the area he sees some bees had used the carcass to make a hive and he was hungry. So he went and got the honeycomb brought it back to his folks. And if you remember one thing that a Nazarite's not supposed to do is touch a dead body. So Samson allowed his flesh to overcome the direction that God had given him since birth. And and I think this is the discord here. When we get saved, God gives us a mission. He gives us a direction. He gives us a purpose. But until we make that purpose our own, it's that. It's a direction. It's a purpose. It's not my direction my purpose. Samson has yet to make it his purpose. He has not dedicated himself so much that he wants to be a Nazarite. It was something that his parents had told him from birth. The angel of the Lord has said, this is how you need to be. And he said, okay, I guess. Now we don't actually hear his heart, but his actions show us that his mind gets a little confused. Look at uh, chapter 16 in verse 4. And we're going to see that Samson allows his flesh to redirect him off the path that God had put in front of him. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up 
came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth and by what means we may prevail against him that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. So we don't know how many lords of the Philistines there were. But there were a lot. And they promised her basically a lifetime's worth of silver if she's able to get the source of Samson's strength so that they can prevail over him. And so I want to look at relationship rule number two. Do not compromise your walk with God for earthly treasures or pressures. We already said that. Backing up. Relationship rule number three. Do not be unequally yoked. Samson had no business getting a girlfriend from the Philistines. Now in his mind... He already had gotten married to a Philistine girl and his dad didn't understand, hey, this is, God wants this so he can get into the Philistines and start infiltrating them and start tearing them apart from within. But then Samson just kept going along with it and he actually falls in love with this woman. Her name is Delilah. But she ends up being a spy for her people. She continually asks him, what is the source of your strength? If you remember the story, or if you haven't, you can read it. They go through about three different iterations of him telling her something. Oh, if I'm tied up by seven ropes that have never been tied up by anything before, I'll lose my strength. And then the Philistines come to grab him and, and, and take him into captivity. And he just gets up and he rips off the bounds and he kills all of them. And so, oh, if you weave my hair in this loom, I'll be weak. And he gets up and rips the loom in half and kills all the Philistines that come to get him. And so Delilah gets frustrated. And um, look at verse 15 of chapter 16, Judges chapter 16. And she said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, hast not, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. Now, you think Samson would have been like, well, everything I tell her, the Philistines come try to kill me. So at some point, I probably shouldn't keep telling her anything. Maybe I should just move out and go somewhere else. But he doesn't get that. And so that's why relationship rule number three is to not be unequally yoked. And this is something that we see in the New Testament. And so I just want to camp here for a quick second. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But don't lose your place here in Judges, because we'll be back. Second Corinthians is conveniently after First Corinthians. So if you see First Corinthians, just keep going to the right, and you'll find Second Corinthians. Uh, chapter six, starting in verse fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked. That's where I got the relationship rule. So it was very easily written there for me. Together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So, God has said, hey, don't get in a relationship that's going to pull you away from me. See, I've heard it before. I might have even said it once or twice in my life. I'm dating them so I can lead them to the Lord. I'm hanging out in their parties because I'm going to be the presence of God there. But then who's the one that ends up drinking? Who's the one that ends up being influenced to 
okay, I'll miss this Sunday because, you know, they want me to go over their house or they want me to hang out. I can miss Bible study this one time so I can take them out or we can go out and have a good time because, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna tell them about God this time. I, I promise I'm going to do it. You can say all you want that you are dating someone or hanging out with people just to share the gospel. But nine times out of ten, it is you who will compromise more and more until God is not the one you are following. Now, I will do a full stop right here because I can hear the thoughts. Well, wait, we can't have unsaved friends. We can't go to the Super Bowl parties with unsaved people. We can't. No, no, no. Remember, discipleship runs on the rails of relationship, right? We're looking at how God uses relationships to share discipleship, to share Christ with people. But you have to go into it with the heart that I'm only doing this for Christ. I I have to go into it, hey, this is not a relationship that we can have romantically or, or move forward or anything because I know who Jesus is, but I want you to. Make that up front because if they truly care... They're going to want to know what you care about. They're going to want to know who you are. And if you are truly sharing Jesus with people, they're going to see a difference. But Samson, he got confused. He gives away everything. He tells her everything. Go back to Judges chapter 16. And look at starting in verse 16. So 16, 16. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. That's that squeaky door that your significant other has mentioned 1,800 times and you're just like, well, the WD-40 is in a garage. I'll get to it later. No, no, no. Get the door now. 17 that he told her all his heart and said unto her there hath not come a razor upon mine head for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb if I be shaven then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man what's not mentioned here is that Samson is so mightily full of the spirit of the Lord that weapons aren't even hurting him they say that they can't even afflict him he can't be cut he can't be bruised he can't be wounded he can't be broken I think in my mind I would even see you know she tries to stab him with a pin to see if his strength is gone and it doesn't work because God has just imbued his body with so much power that he can just overcome all these obstacles But he finally tells her his whole heart and gives her the answer that she has been begging for, not because she wants to know who Samson is, but because she wants money. And so people's intentions is important to understand. Your intentions is important for people to know. So what happens after he tells her? Look at verse 18. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines... Hey, get my money ready. Saying, come up this come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. Because they knew, oh no, I got him where I need him now. And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. So she could see... That as she's hitting him, it was taking effect. Or as she was poking him, it was taking effect. He was now able to be injured. And she said in verse verse 20, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before. And shake myself. And he wits not that the Lord was departed from him. So point number three is that at some point we have to get to a place of being separated by choice. 
Here we see Samson, he told all his heart to Delilah. She used that against him. And then look at um, 22. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow, or blah, 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 back up. Uh, 20. And she said, the, uh, But the Philistines took him, 21, and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. So Samson was given a direction. He was separated. He was set apart for the work of the Lord from the womb. From the beginning of his life, he had been taught, you are the beginning of the deliverance of Israel. At one point, after he killed a thousand people, he said, I have done it. And he was thirsty, so God blessed him with some water because he's like, I've done all this. Am I going to die of thirst after I've saved Israel? Well, you haven't saved Israel, actually. You were supposed to be the beginning. But he took it upon himself. And you can see his heart in his words in 20. I will go out as at other times before. He got lost in what God was blessing him with the ability to do. He got full of himself and said, I am the one that is doing this. But it was too late. God had already left. Samson gets captured, blinded, and forced into slave labor. Working in the prison house, grinding. This is his lowest point. He had caused so much damage to the Philistines, but what he failed to remember was his strength was from God and that he could do nothing through himself. We need to remember that our strength comes from God and that we can do nothing in our own power. It is absolutely amazing, y'all, that Sam said the exact same thing not an hour ago. That's how God works. This is a message that we need to hear. If we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves back to serving sin. Jesus said it best in John 8, starting in verse 30. He says, As he spake these words... Many believed on him. So Jesus had just spoken a message and several Jews believed that he was who he saying he was. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. You want to be a disciple? Then continue in Jesus' word. You want to know the truth? Then continue in Jesus' word, and that will make you free from the sin that you struggle with. From that cycle we talked about last week. We started our our, uh, Judges um, 15 with, and Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. They can't get it right. We have the opportunity to not follow their example. How? Continue in my word. Then are ye my disciples indeed. So let's move along here and see how Samson finally gets his choice to be separated in faith. Look in verse um, 22. So he's in the prison house, but the hair of his head begins to grow again after he was shaven. Verse 23 of Judges chapter 16. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their god, little g, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So they were contributing Samson's loss of strength not to Samson giving up the secret to what he had been given the strength from that the God of Israel had given them the strength but that their false God Dagon 
who was half fish, half man, in their statues, had given him the strength to now suddenly afflict him. <clears throat> and so they're going to throw a big party. Um, verse 24, And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. So they had already contributed their destruction to Samson. That's how much damage he had been doing. Verse 25, And it came to pass when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson, and out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. So they're, in, they're just laughing at him. They're, they're looking upon him and saying, We are better than him. We are stronger than him. Dagon did this for us. And look at 26. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, because he's blind, remember, so he had to have somebody walk him around. Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sports. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. So we see the Philistines praising their God and giving him credit for allowing them to capture Samson. We see in 1623 they decided to have this celebration, this time of, uh, of merriment to celebrate their victory over Samson. But then we, we see a different Samson. Look at, look at what he had said there. He says, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God. He called unto the Lord. He hadn't done that. We have not seen him do that from the time the angel Lord came. He was born. He went into his basically one man war against the Philistines. Not one time do we see him saying or praying or even giving uh, the, the victory, the glory to God. He was take, doing it all himself. And you even saw his own words before. I will go out as at other times. But this is a different Samson. He had a lot of time to think. Pushing the grain wheel. Being whipped. He's had a lot of time to be in this time of lowness. He has been able to reflect and consider his heart. He asked God to grant him his strength back. He understands now the power did not come from him, but God. He wasn't special. He was chosen. He didn't have it in himself. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't born with this weird reflection of the sun that gave him his strength and enabled him to fly. God had given him the strength. So look at um, verse 29 after his prayer. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon the house, upon which the house stood, and one which, was, which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand, the other with his left. And Samson said, so he's continuing his prayer, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death, were more than they which he slew in his life. He finally got it. He finally said, God, you are the source of my strength. And God blessed him with strength one more time. And he was able to destroy the Philistines more in that one moment than he did his entire life. All the things, all the exploits he did, he got more done there with that one final sacrifice 
But he did it with the heart towards God. And I think that's the difference. God blessed him with a place in the hall of faith because he finally got it. And so in conclusion, we all have a choice on what relationships we have. I encourage you to get to know unsaved people. Let them see Christ through you. But don't compromise Christ as first in your life so you can fit in. Remember, we already have all power in us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is known as the Great Commission. It's, it's the mission that Christ has given us to go and tell the whole world about Him. But I want to focus on verse 18 because a lot of people just skip that one. And Jesus came and spake unto them, them being the disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. We can't go and do something for Christ if we don't first recognize who has the power to do the work. Christ calls us to do the going, but he says, I will be responsible for the results. You just have to be willing. And so as I close my time going through this hall of faith and looking at these people, I say, Jesus is in us. If we have asked him into our heart, therefore we have all power through him. So we need to purpose in our heart to keep him first in our life. So we don't end up blind and enslaved by our compromises. So I'm going to close with a spot of prayer. You're free to hang out here a little bit. I do appreciate Mitch for letting me being able to bend Jarl's ear for the last few weeks. Uh, come back next week to see how it's supposed to be done. And Mitch will uh, take us on to Jephthah after that. Lord, I just thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for being able to, to, to study and to see what it is you have for us, Lord. And God, I just pray that if we have compromises that we've made in our lives or that we're living in a compromise, God, that you give us the strength to not only see it, but to admit it and to walk away from it, God. And to put you first. God, please, I just ask this in Jesus' name. And just ask that you bless us as we go back to what we need to do for the day, Lord. But not to forget that our strength comes from you, Lord, please. Amen. Thank you, brother.